0: During David's rise to fame, God made a covenant with him, as he did with Abraham and his descendants. David wanted to build a house for God. Instead, the Lord built a house for David, securing his kingdom forever. In prayer, David humbly received what the Lord said to him, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house, that you have brought me thus far? David must have felt like the proverbial turtle on a fence post in the middle of the farmer's field. The only way that turtle got there is someone picked him up and put him there. David knew that God had placed him on the throne and nobody could change that. What can you point to in your life that only God could accomplish? I'm Ron Jones and this is something good.
1: What does it mean to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? Find out next on this Thursday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Well, King David was called a man after God's own heart, and it was God himself who said so. Why did the Lord describe him this way? How does a person after God's own heart behave? For answers, stay with us now as Ron continues his teaching series, Route 66, the ultimate road trip through the Bible or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen anytime on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Now, here's Ron and today's Something Good Radio message, Second Samuel, my heart like God's.
0: Well, if you walk the streets of Jerusalem today and you ask anybody, who was Israel's greatest king? More likely than not, you're gonna hear them say, well, of course, it's David. David, that man after God's own heart. And I suspect if you had a conversation like that, especially near the King David Jerusalem Hotel, that's exactly the way the conversation would go. The King David Jerusalem Hotel is one of the leading hotels in the world. It is the universal choice of elite travelers who uh, come to the holy city from all corners of the world. If you go to their website, they describe the experience as uh, guests who enjoy modern luxury along with the splendor of a bygone era. That is the King David Hotel. If you ever get to Jerusalem and you have a few extra dollars, that might be a good place to stay for one night or two. Naming the hotel after King David makes perfect sense to anybody who knows the scriptures and is familiar with the holy city. Uh, Naming the hotel after King Saul would be a poor marketing decision. (laughs) I don't think anybody would stay there for obvious reasons. Now today we're in the book of 2 Samuel and um, we're looking at the life and the reign of King David the greatest king in Israel's history. David is a giant figure in Israel's history for many, many reasons. His connections to the Christ are very, very significant. For example, chronologically, David appears halfway between Abraham and Jesus. Did you know that? Just in the chronology of the generations? Genealogically, the Messiah is a descendant of King David. Uh, That was very important to the Jews back then, and even now, that the the Messianic line had a connection to King David. Theologically, King David is an Old Testament type of Christ, and he points us to Jesus, who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Uh, The Son of David is among Jesus' many, many titles that we read about in the Scriptures. Uh, The angel Gabriel said to Mary, Jesus' mother, in Luke chapter 1, he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And prophetically, when Jesus returns, Jesus' Messiah, the Bible says, will sit on David's throne in Jerusalem, and rule the world from that throne for a 1,000 years, the Bible says, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Uh, David is immensely significant in that way. He was a man of many talents, many interests, uh, many proficiencies, we call him shepherd, soldier, king, musician, he's a poet. Uh, David is a fundraiser, he's a capable leader and administrator, he's a lover of God. These are just some of the ways that we describe him. Tragically, adulterer and murderer are also words that we use to describe King David. And in that way, a study of his life is both complex and immensely worthwhile at the same time. Now, we're in the book of 2 Samuel, and originally these two books, 1 and 2 Samuel, um, were just one long narrative, and so that you know comes into play as you're reading uh, on into 2 Samuel because um, we just pick up rather seamlessly with David returning from a military victory over the Amalekites, and on his way to establishing what is known as the Davidic dynasty, David continues to ride the wave of popularity that he enjoyed following his defeat of the Philistine giant named Goliath. After defeating the Amalekites, the Bible tells us that David remained in Ziklag for two days, and it was long enough for a messenger from Saul's camp to arrive with news that Saul had died in battle, along with his sons, including Jonathan. And David takes a moment to reflect upon that and you can read his reflection at the end of chapter one. Part of it he says, your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high place. How the mighty have fallen. David grieved the loss of the king's anointed, Saul, despite the fact that Saul had been hounding him and chasing after him and threatening his life for years. And he grieved the loss of his dearest friend, Jonathan. However, this was the time that David, the king elect and the king anointed, became the king enthroned. It took years from the anointing of David as king by Samuel for David to actually assume the throne, and he does this uh, in the book of 2 Samuel. Now, 2 Samuel focuses solely on the 40-year reign of King David. Think about that. Four decades he sat on the throne in Israel. It doesn't record everything in the Bible uh, that the Bible has to say about King David. In fact, his story begins in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and it uh, goes from that point all the way through the rest of 1 Samuel, all the way through 2 Samuel, and into 1 Kings chapter two. Some call 2 Samuel the book of David's 40 years. It is solely about his reign in Jerusalem during that time. Actually, he served as king in Judah, uh, king over Judah, one of the tribes of Israel, and he was in Hebron for seven and a half years, 2 uh, Samuel tells us. And then at that time, uh, he was king of all Israel in Jerusalem for 33 years. Now, at first, um, every tribe of Israel, except Judah, remained loyal to King Saul. And, um, even though David had been anointed king, David had to learn to wait patiently on God before he consolidated his power and before he sat on the throne in Jerusalem. Loyalists to Saul made one of Saul's son Ishbosheth. Well, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Ishbosheth became king over all the other tribes. David just in Judah for seven and a half years. Uh, Ishbosheth reigned only two years before he was murdered by. An internal plot against him. Chapters 1 through 10 of Samuel record David's meteoric rise to what is known as the Davidic dynasty. Everything he touched yielded success. And God was on his side, although the king was also very careful to pray. He prayed every time he went to battle. Just a little thing I notice about David, this man after God's own heart. He was never presumptuous. Even though he went to fight the Philistines many times, each time he went, it says, and David inquired of the Lord, should I go up? Should I go up? And how should I go up? And it was important for David to do that because one time the Lord told him, fight him this way. And if he had been presumptuous and had just done the same thing that he did the previous time, the next time uh, he wouldn't have won the battle because the Lord said, okay David, thanks for asking because this time I want you to fight him this way. And it's just a good reminder Never never become presumptuous in your heart. Never let one victory produce the seed of presumption in your heart to where you stop asking the Lord for the simple, simple directions of life. Chapter three begins, there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, and David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Uh, This shepherd boy who became king, he defeated the Philistines, the Moabites, the Edomites. He defeated the king of Zobah. He defeated the Ammonites and the Syrians. Twice in chapter eight, it tells us, the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Are you beginning to sense this meteoric rise of this young shepherd boy king who is now sitting on the throne? and it's just one success after another. You know, I I almost hear uh, from the the echoes of the future, you're gonna get tired of having victory after victory after victory, right? Well, that, that was David, man. It's just one victory after another after another. Returning the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem was probably one of David's greatest achievements. You read about it in chapter six and verses one to 23. Uh, The Ark of the Covenant was a big deal, and and it wasn't where it was supposed to be. Actually, it was in the house of Abinadab, and David learned about this, and he wanted to bring it back to Jerusalem, and it was such a big deal that the Bible tells us he he gathered together the chosen men of Israel, 30,000 of them. I mean, how many people does it take to retrieve the Ark of the Covenant? But he got 30,000 men together. And he retrieved it from the house of Abinadab, and they put it on a a cart, and it was being pulled by oxen. And along the way, the oxen stumbled, and a guy named Uzzah put his hand out to steady the ark. Probably not a bad thing to do, except you don't touch the ark, the holy ark of the covenant. If it's fallen off the cart, it's fallen off the cart. We, you know, we'll figure another way to put it. But you don't put your hand out. And the Lord struck Uzzah dead. The Bible said this angered David. And he said, who am I to bring the ark you know, to my house and to Jerusalem? And so rather than bringing it all the way back to Jerusalem, it says that he, he left it at the house of Obed-Edom for three months. Obed the Gittite.
1: Still ahead, the second half of today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Listen to Ron's messages on demand at somethinggoodradio.org. Again, that's somethinggoodradio.org. And when you stop by, be sure to check out Starting Point, a Disciples First Steps, free online discipleship coaching experience created by Dr. Ron Jones. Look for Something Good courses when you visit our new streaming platform at somethinggoodradio.org, that starting point at Disciples First Steps, where you'll discover what it means to be a disciple and learn how to train others to be true followers of Christ. The second half of today's message, Second Samuel, My Heart Like God's, comes your way next. Stay with us as we continue to explore the life of King David, a man after God's own heart. Once again, here's Dr. Ron Jones.
0: And the Bible says that the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom. You know, wherever the Ark of the Covenant went was the presence of the Lord, and the presence of the Lord blessed Obed-Edom's house. David learned about this. He was over his anger. He went and retrieved the Ark from Obed-Edom's house. He continued bringing it back to Jerusalem. And the Bible says that when the Ark of the Covenant entered Jerusalem, David was so, Uh, expressive with worship that he was dancing and leaping in one of the most uh, celebratory worship experiences found in the Bible. And his wife, Michael, who was Saul's daughter, was watching from the palace window, and she was embarrassed by her husband. The Bible says she despised his actions. Chapter six and verse 20, how the king of Israel honored himself today, she said with contempt, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Some people say that David was so effusive and so expressive in his worship that he took off all of his clothes and was dancing and leaping naked in the streets. Nah, not exactly. But what he probably did was take off his outer royal garments and was left in his underclothing called an ephod. And Michael watches this from the window, and she thinks that's beneath the king to act like one of those vulgar people who would, you know, the king should have his royal garments on. Some people say that her contempt toward David had something to do with the time that David reclaimed Michael as his wife because she went and married another man. And as the spoils of battle, he reclaimed her as his wife probably without her consent. The Bible says that from this time forward, Michael never had a child. She never gave birth to a child. Maybe it was God's punishment upon her for speaking with contempt to the Lord's anointed. Or maybe their relationship had grown so cold that they never had relations again. We don't exactly know. But you have this, this, this picture of David, this lover of God, bringing back the Ark of the Covenant. He's so excited. He's so effusive. He's so expressive and uninhibited in his worship. Oh, that we would worship the Lord that way. Uh, without fearing the judgment of anybody who would look upon us and, with contempt and say, aha. Oh, We don't do that here. Uh, That's just an interesting uh, story there in um, in chapter six. During David's rise to fame, God also made a covenant with David like the Lord did with Abraham. Remember the Abrahamic covenant? Well, now now we we come to chapter seven and we read what's called the Davidic covenant. Uh, David wanted to build a house for God. He had this vision of building this house for God. Instead, the Lord says, no, I'm gonna build a house for you, David, and he secured his kingdom forever. Take your Bible and turn to chapter seven, and let's begin in verse 11, and read the language of the, the, the Davidic covenant. This is, this is fascinating stuff. Through Samuel, the Lord says to David, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Uh, who's the Lord speaking of here? Uh, this is Solomon. Uh, we're we're going to move on into the kings, and we're going we're to talk about King Solomon. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and... He shall be to me a son when he commits iniquity. And boy, did Solomon ever. I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Now listen to this. And your house, your house, David, your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Yeah, for all the reasons that we talked about, the connection to the Christ who is the son of David and will sit on the throne of David and the messianic link to the kingdom of David, the Davidic covenant is a huge one. And by the way, the covenant God made with David here marks the fourth major development in the messianic prophecy since we began the ultimate road trip through the Bible. Let's review a little bit. The first glimpse into the Messianic prophecy, the first glimpse we receive that God was sending a Messiah, a Redeemer to save us, appeared to Adam in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, where Adam learns that the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent with his heel. This is a picture of Jesus on the cross. Okay? Uh, we we called this the proto-evangelium, the first gospel, the first glimpse of God's plan of redemption. The next um, major development of the Messianic prophecy comes with the covenant God made with Abraham. Remember in chapter 12 of Genesis, Abraham uh, leaves the Ur of the Chaldees, the Lord tells him, I'll make of you a great nation. Chapter 15, he uh, reaffirms the covenant, tells Abraham to go outside. Look at the stars of the sky, Abraham. Count them if you can. These are the numbers of your descendants. And then we come to chapter 22 and Abraham and Isaac there on Mount Moriah. And the Lord again affirms the covenant, the promise he made uh, to Abraham and to his descendants. And then we come to the third of the major developments in the Messianic prophecy and this is with Jacob. And the covenant is renewed with Jacob and then all this time passes, now the Davidic covenant. And these are all what are called unconditional covenants or promises, unconditional in what way, God will fulfill his end of the bargain, his end of the promise, regardless of whether his chosen people are faithful. And what we're going to learn is that David wasn't a perfect man, but it was through the line of David the Messiah would come.
1: King David made a series of mistakes, but what made him a man after God's own heart is what he did next. We'll pick it up right here tomorrow as Dr. Ron Jones continues his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. And remember, all of Ron's messages can be heard on demand on your schedule at somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, check out the Something Good Digital Library where you'll find more than 500 hours of Bible teaching from Dr. Ron Jones that will help you in your journey with Jesus. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Some of life's
0: greatest adventures take place on a road trip. Nothing is more enjoyable than traveling the open highway with the windows rolled down and the music turned up each town, each exit, an experience all its own. Hello friend, I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio, and today I'm inviting you to take a road trip with me. You see, I'm convinced that reading the Bible is the greatest literary adventure you can ever take. But with 66 books, two testaments, and more than 600,000 words, it can be a daunting journey to attempt. That's why I wrote my two-volume book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible where I give you a bird's eye view of God's Word so you can clearly see how it all fits together. All 66 books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So pack your bags and join me on the ultimate road trip through the Bible.
1: You'll be glad you did. Here's Brian with details. The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume 1 and 2, can be yours today by request for your gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of something good. When you order the print versions, you'll also get instant access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The online library includes electronic versions of the book, plus video sermons, audio messages, and downloadable sermon notes on all 66 books of the Bible. Visit somethinggoodradio.org to request the two-volume set and to gain immediate access to the Route 66 digital library. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Pastor Ron, not only did you break this project up into two volumes, but you created what you call eight different road trips. Five are in the Old Testament and three in the New. If you would, help our listeners understand the motivation behind this literary structure. You know,
0: Brian, categorizing the various books of the Bible into eight separate groups is nothing new. Uh, They include the books of the law, the Old Testament historical books, Uh, The wisdom books, the major prophets, the minor prophets, then we're into the gospels and the early church, the Pauline epistles, and we finish up with the general epistles and revelation. But when I first decided to compare the reading of God's word to a travel adventure, well, it took me almost no time to come up with the phrase road trip to identify these eight sections of scripture. Uh, What I believe the reader will begin to see a little more clearly is that the books of the law, for example, point to the person and work of Jesus Christ as much as the Gospels do. Uh, That's because the Bible is one story with one main character. His name is Jesus and he is the Christ. Uh, My hope is that by experiencing the 66 books of the Bible as eight separate road trips, uh, this overarching theme will be easier to recognize and understand.
1: Such a great idea, Pastor Ron. We're so glad you decided to share this important book with us. You can get your copy today by going to somethinggoodradio.org. Both volumes of this great resource are yours as our thank you when you give a gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of Something Good. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099 or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456.
0: How do you become a man or a woman after God's own heart? You model the grace of God when it's hardest and you guard your heart. Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can understand it. Guard it,
1: guard it carefully. That's tomorrow in part two of Ron's message, Second Samuel, My Heart Like God's. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying so long and thanks for listening.